Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. And today, instead of a hot take review on a game we just finished playing, we're going to be taking a look at the Board Game Geek Golden Geek Awards, and uh, we're going to vote live. We're going to vote well talking through them in this podcast episode today. So we're going to be jumping into that in just a minute. But before we do, every week before we jump into the main topic, we talk about some poll results. And this week on Twitter and on our Facebook group, I asked a poll question, what's generally your favorite type of game night? The first option I gave was learn and play a new game. And we got 60% on that. Second option was play a game I know well, and we got 36% on that. And I knew people would be unhappy with these two choices. So my third option this time was I hate your polls and you. And 4% answered that. Harsh. Not nice, people. Not nice. But wouldn't that just apply to every poll then? I mean, couldn't you just have that as the third (laughs) or fourth option in every one? Yeah. Man, this was a hard poll for me. How how did you guys feel about this question? Was it an easy one? I answered this poll, prefer to play a new game that I don't know. But then I kept reading the responses. And I was like, oh, man, these people are way smarter than me. I'm going to pick both A and B. And a lot of people said a new game to start off the night where your brain's fresh. And then you go to a familiar game to finish the night, something that's, you know, you don't have to stretch your brain and twist it around and not, it's something more familiar. It's going to be something you can cruise through. So I like that whole combination flow. But yeah, on the poll, I put learn something new. What about you, Chris? I feel kind of lame saying this, especially because I'm a co-host on a podcast about trying new board games, but this one was easy for me. It's hands down. I like playing a game that I know. I do enjoy learning new games, obviously, but really the the joy there comes from the potential that the game could become a new favorite or that I really am going to enjoy it. But rarely do I sit down and say, boy, oh boy, am I excited to play this new game. But if I've got a game out there that I, I know well, it's like visiting an old friend, you know, you're sitting down, setting up the board, getting the pieces out. Like I know just where to put everything. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I can't, I, I'm excited with the possibility of where I'm going to go with my strategy that night. I'm not usually feeling that when it's a new game because I don't know what strategies I'm going to do. I'm, I probably don't even know anything about strategy at this point. So for me, my first choice is always going to be playing a game that I know if it's just about pleasure, if it's about, you know, learning, doing an episode or something like that, then of course, I'm happy to play, play a new game as well. But I love going back to the old favorites. Yeah, this was so hard for me because I enjoy both experiences a lot. And but ultimately, I fell on play a game I know well, usually, that's what I'm going to have more fun doing. There's so many games, so many great games on my shelves that I just want to go back and play. And it just feels like our hobby is so built around like, I got the newest game. I want to play my new game. So like my local groups here that I play games with, like if they're into games, they everybody wants to bring their latest new thing that they picked up. So we never go back and explore anything over again. And so that almost feels like a special situation. On the flip side, my the, the people I play the most with, which is my wife, Danielle, and our friend, Jen, they don't like learning new games at all. So we tend to go back to a lot of games repeatedly. And then that gets a little tired. Like I don't want to go back to the same three games Every time I want a bigger group than that. So I'm often trying to convince them to learn a couple new games here and there just so that we're playing something that's a little bit fresh, but it doesn't have to be new to me. It can be just something that, you know, that we don't go to all the time. So, yeah, I like playing a game I know well. I think that's a really fun thing to revisit and re-explore. And if they're great games, why not? Like go back there and, and dig into it a little bit more. 
but yeah, learning new games is fun as well. Um, the, so I'm going to read a couple comments that people left on Twitter and on our Facebook groups. Uh, Navalek said, my favorite game nights are ones where you play an old familiar favorite. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen as often as I'd like because typically someone has a new game that they're excited to try. Board Game Sire said, I have so many new to me games that I need to learn. So my rare game nights are spent on learning the latest acquisition. Sounds like Board Game Sire is feeling obligated to go to a shelf of shame. Maybe stop buying more games. Chris said, tough call. I'd like to start an evening learning a new game, but wrap the evening evening up playing a few old favorites. And that's the uh, the listener whose response I stole. Uh, cohort 8 Games said, I enjoy a mix. Always good to learn something new off the shelf of opportunity and also play ones you're already familiar with. The reason that we wanted to talk about the the Golden Geek Awards, obviously, because it's it's fun to pay attention to them, but most excitedly, because we got a nomination for the Best Board Game Podcast this year. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our listeners that voted for us and put our names in the hat and got us nominated with a great of, of other great podcasters. When this episode releases, there will be about a week to where you can actually vote for, for the Golden Geek Awards. And uh, that includes the best podcast category. So we'd love it if you voted for us there as well. Um, we know there's a lot of great podcasts we're up against, but any vote would be awesome. Uh, to vote, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, you can go on to boardgamegeek.com. You can create an account if you don't have one already. It's free to do. It does require you to have 20 geek gold, though, which is a simple little currency they use on that site. If you need geek gold, just drop me a private message, hit me up on social media, or email me at tim at boardgamehottakes.com, and I'll be happy to send you the geek gold on Board Game Geek so that you can go on vote. Really would appreciate it if you voted for us, uh, but thank you to everybody that already did. It's just an honor to be on this list at all. Let's jump in. We're going to go through the list of categories that the Golden Geek Awards has listed. And the in most cases, it's 10 games that are nominated for that category. And then it allows you to rank them from one to 10. So putting you know the ones that you think are the best are number one and going down the list to number 10. For the podcast category, I think it's actually 15. So a few of the categories, they said they added more than 10, maybe because there was ties. Some have less just because they didn't have enough nominees for that category. Um, so we'll go into them really quickly, kind of just talk about the ones that we're voting for, the ones that we're excited about. What do you guys think about this uh, this award series? Have you voted for the Golden Geeks prior to this year? I have voted for the Golden Geeks prior to this year, and I think it's fun. I think they're, you know, it's nice for the community to be able to get together and put some recognition out there for new games over the past year or new whatever over the past year. So, of course, it's imperfect. There's the the popularity con- contest aspect to it. At the end of the day, I think it's fun and it's going to give recognition to some games at a very minimum, some very good games at a minimum. I voted as well. And I think it is a lot of fun. I have to admit, it is a little, there is a weakness to it. And that is that in movies, for example, it's real easy for someone to go out there and see a whole bunch of movies and then judge which ones they think are the best. But unfortunately, with games, it's not quite as simple because for one, you have to find people to play them with. And for two, you have to get your hands on a copy of it. So like when I was looking at these, I found that I was limited by the games that I'd actually played. And some people play tons and tons and tons of games. You know, we probably play more games than average. But, you know, if I have played one out of the 15 games, I'm going to vote for the one that I played. Assume that I actually liked it. And that's that's a bit of a weakness. But Tim, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I've, of course, voted for this for the last several years, but that's always the problem. It always feels uh, a little icky to me that you're voting just for the couple that you've played, regardless of how they are actually quality wise to the other games, because you have no idea. And so, um, you know, this is a 
that's what kind of poll this is, right? Or that's what kind of award ceremony is. It's a it's a you know community award, but part of that is going to be driven, like you said, by popularity. But what does popularity come from? Partly, maybe it's you know how big the publishing company is, how much they can market it, yeah. how many review copies they can get out in front of people. Like those are all things that are going to impact. That don't necessarily mean that the game is quality. But some other things that do matter, and I think get people's attention, are things like that we talk about a lot, like production. You know, like the the theme, the unique theme, the artwork, the um, how does it look? You know, what's drawing you to look at a game? So in some cases, it's that combination of just you know, putting a great presentation on a game, making it something that I want to play that's drawing me to it that may have nothing to do with marketing necessarily, but it's about, you know, what what did you create here that is beyond just the mechanisms? So I think it's a mix of drawing people in um, to to some extent that it has nothing to do with the quality of the game, but to some extent it does. So, you know, whatever, that's what this award ceremony is. Board Game Geek recognizes that. We're just gonna come out here and have some fun with it with the games that we can talk about. Now, this first category is one of the more interesting ones for me because it's the two-player game category. And this is a category that I don't get the chance to play too many two-player only games. So I may not have a lot to say about this one, but let's kick it off here. In the two-player category, you're right, Tim, this one was interesting. I don't have much experience with a lot of these games, but I have a couple of things to say about a few of them. Boop is one of them. And unfortunately the name and the art is just a turnoff right there. I think I've, I've heard about this game and it's supposed to be a really good game, but it's called boop. That's embarrassing. Not only is it called boop, <laughs> but it's lowercase B and there's a period after it. I know, right? It's going for a certain type of demographic. Uh, Caesar sees Rome in 20 minutes is Paolo Mori. I'd like to try this one at some point. I was close to buying it relatively lightweight, uh, war game, um, Ancient Rome with Palomori, unique twist on it. I think that's fascinating. I've tried Caper Europe. It's on BGA. If you guys haven't tried that one yet, it was it wasn't it was more of a flirt. I didn't really get to know it, but uh, we left each other and parted ways. We haven't talked since. <laughs> Might go back to Caper Europe, but so far no. Marvel Dice Throne. I assume that's like the other Dice Thrones, except with Marvel characters. But I I have to admit, haven't tried it. The Dark Horse in this group, I think, is Pagan. Fate of Roanoke. I didn't hear about this one until today when Wally Smith, he is all over the place. In particular on Reddit, Wally Smith is very active and he is just articulate and an excellent writer. So I love reading his stuff and he's a supporter of the show as well. So thanks, Wally. But he called out Pagan Fate of Roanoke. And I don't know if you guys have looked at this one. It looks fascinating. The art looks beautiful. I'd really like to try this one at some point. So that's kind of my dark horse for this one. I haven't voted yet. If you're going to force me to vote right now, Tim, I don't know what I would do. So would you guys vote on ones that you've never played? Because I think that that's a line that I will not cross. So how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree with you, Tim. I am not, I haven't played any of these, to be honest. So, well, I played Caper Europe and I, I'm not going to vote for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I've only played the once and I don't, it, there's, it's a possibility it's an amazing game, but my one play without really reading the rules and knowing the intricacies of the game, I don't feel comfortable ranking it against these what could be also amazing games. So right now, uh, no votes for me for two-player game on Board Game Geek. Wow, we're going for like full honesty here, huh? Why not? All right, that's that's a high bar to set. <laughs> I, I had not seen Pagan before, but that really does look kind of neat. That's a fun-looking game. It's got some really cool artwork on it. I will check that one out. I can't vote for it because I haven't played it. And in fact, like you guys, I haven't actually played any of these games except for one, and that's Wingspan Asia. 
and it was a fine game and I'm going to vote for that. I actually think that was a nice, a nice addition to the, the wingspan uh, universe. So that was a fun game, but it's the only one that I'd played. I had seen Caper Europe and I thought that looked really interesting. Although after Adam just talked about his failed relationship with Caper Europe, I'm not quite sure I'm convinced anymore. Uh, should I, Adam, should I go check it out? Or is that just like a don't waste your time? It's on Borgham Marina and it takes, you know, 20 minutes, sub 20 minutes to play a game. So why not try it out is what I say. Oh, OK. Well, then I'll, I'll give it a shot. But I do feel like I can cast a solid, legitimate, honest vote for Wingspan Asia because it does add a two player variant, a dedicated two player variant to the game that I think works nicely and makes it a little bit more fun at the two-player level. The rest of these games, I haven't tried them. A lot of familiar names. And actually, one speaking of familiar names, one thing that I thought was interesting was as I was looking through the list of all the games that were eligible for the initial voting, the nominations, and of course, there's hundreds of them uh, that came out in 2022, that name Marvel was freaking everywhere. I mean, there must have been like 40 games in a row that were just Marvel. Marvel Dice Throne, Marvel United, Marvel, what's the other one? Marvel Champions. Champions. I mean, there was just, it was Marvel, 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 which is actually nice. I get to, you know, scan down through and skip over like, you know, 40 games in a row because I hadn't played any of those other than Marvel United. Mm. But anyway, so here it is. Wingspan Asia for me. Tim, what are you doing here? Yeah, so I did mention that this this category is just hard for me because I think buying a two-player only game is just not like I play with my wife a lot, right? So that I play with somebody two-player a lot, but I generally don't buy games just to play with her. I generally buy games that are going to work in a variety of circumstances. So most of the two-player gaming that we do is on games that are multiplayer games. Now there's a couple games in this list that I'm actually really excited to try. I've heard amazing things about Beer and Bread which is a two-player Euro game, which sounds really fun to me. Uh, Mindbug First Contact is um, is a kind of a Magic the Gathering style game without any you know pre-deck building. It's just it's just pre-made decks. Isn't John Garfield involved in making that one too? I think so. Yeah, I think Richard Garfield Richard was Garfield, like the developer yeah. on it. Um, and uh, and what sounds interesting about this game is that you know you're playing these cards and some of them have huge massive effects, but everybody starts with like two cards that you just can steal whatever effect or whatever card you're about to play. And so it's a little bit about trying to play a bluffing game and say like, oh, I'm going to do this big thing and somebody else wastes their card to steal their mind bug to steal it. And then they can play something else. And so it just adds a little bit of a bluffing, a little bit of a, uh, you know, trying to trick your opponent, a little bit of mind game into that classic card dueler. So that actually sounds really fun to me. And then Splendor Duel has me excited. I'm not a big fan of Splendor, but this game looks a little thinkier. I, it's got an interesting spatial relationship, it seems, with the way that you collect the resources in it. So I don't know. It sounds fun to me. And I'd also like to try Undaunted Stalingrad. I still haven't played any of the Undaunted series, which we've talked about before here. So, you know, a few that I would like to play here, none that I would ever buy. So it's just going to come down to really, you know, does somebody else introduce me to it? And that happens once in a while, but not this year. I've got no votes in the two-player category. Not off to a great start here, but let's jump <laughs> to the next one. Next category up is artwork and presentation. And there's two games here in particular I'm going to talk about because I own them and I can speak semi-intelligently. That's a stretch there, but I'm going to speak about them anyway. For first place on this one, I put John Company 2nd Edition. One of the good games is 
pumping out some amazing product. I've talked about this one on the show before. Haven't actually got it played. I've got it spread out all over the table and checked out the components and organized everything. The map is just incredibly beautiful. Over on the right side, it's India. You've got this little elephant showing where the events in India are going to occur. You've got these, I think they're called fortresses that stack and there's a little cap on those. And then you can put a little flag on top of those. That's an amazing piece of production there. The dice are beautiful. The cards are beautiful. The player mats are beautiful. Just the components of any worthy gig gang, but in particular, John Company, second edition, absolutely outstanding. The board itself is laid out with this red ribbon that guides you through the round if you can figure out how to do those actions. I've heard one time through, and it'll make a lot of sense. But one time for me with a house under renovations and babies running around, I couldn't make it. So I need to go back to this one but it is beautiful. That's John Company, second edition. And second place, a game I love tons and is beautiful to look at, Wonderland's War. We talked about that one a bunch on the show, but it is also beautiful and a joy to look at. So this was a category that I actually was really excited about because I love good art and there's lots of games in here that has some really fun art to look at. And it actually gave me an opportunity to make a vote that really felt like I don't know. It did my did my heart good because it's a game I really don't like, but man, does it have good art. And so I was able to to put forward like a, I don't know, it just, it cheered me up a little bit. Can you guess what it is? Merchants of the Dark Road. Yep. Merchants of the Dark Road. I actually gave it my number one because I remember playing that game and being so unhappy with the gameplay, but being so enthralled by the art in the world building there. So I actually rated that as my number one because I really, really did enjoy the art in that. My number two, I gave to Wonderland's War because the Manny Tremblay art in that game is also absolutely phenomenal. I didn't think it was quite as unique stylistically or maybe maybe not stylistically, but thematically, I actually liked what was happening in Merchants of the Dark Road a little bit better. So that's why, you know, but Wonderland's War was a close second. Number three, I gave to My Father's Work, which is a game I haven't played, but I have looked at the artwork. It's actually one of the games on my relatively short list for really want to play. Whether I'll get it played or not, tough to say because it is such a heavy lift, huge game, needs the app, probably not going to be playing it online. But it just seems like a fascinating game. And the artwork is, you know, in keeping with its theme kind of dark and brooding and old school horror movie. And I love it. I think that's great. So that was my number three. Number four was a recent play of ours, Endless Winter Paleo Americans, which did a great job, I thought, of walking that kind of fine line between cartoony and realistic. And sometimes a particular cartoon-ish art style works for me. And sometimes it doesn't. This one really did, and I loved the art in Endless Winter Paleo-Americans. It has this kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's this very angular faces and, you know, sort of uh, harsh lines. And I, I thought that was really nicely done. And the, the white, you know, snowscapes, just it was a cool background to work against. And then my number five, which is the last one that I voted for here because uh, yeah, that was the last one that I felt strongly about was Return to Dark Tower. Really nice art. Nothing phenomenal, which is why as much as I like that game, and you'll be hearing this game come up again in my discussions, as much as I like the game and as fine as the art is, it's not It's not particularly unique, but they did a very nice job. It's very functional. 
it it assists the game and it create especially on the app uh, where you're interacting with the screen and things are popping up all around you. There's a lot of neat stuff happening and. I, I think it's very serviceable and makes an enjoyable game even more enjoyable, if not particularly exciting art-wise. Now, see, I would have thought artwork and presentation, I consider that to also be things like the tower and like the minis. And so I kind of expect you to rate this a little bit higher, Chris, but I could see reading that title, artwork and presentation being more about just the, you know, kind of the the illustrations, the the, the art-related elements of the game. Yeah, I looked, I took it strictly as art, which I don't know if that was what was intended or not. I would have thought artwork and production, maybe. So I don't know, maybe I misinterpreted the question, but I I stand by my answers. Cool, cool. This was uh, probably the easiest category to get some fun votes in because you don't even have to have played a game to look at it and see you know, what it looks like, what, how it stands out to you. And, and so I, I feel pretty good about voting even for a few games that I haven't necessarily played. I voted for 12 of the 15 games on here, three of them that I just haven't taken that close of a look at. And so I didn't really feel like I had anything to say about it. My number one was Everdell, the complete collection. And I think what you have to remember here is that the complete collection includes everything Everdell. So everything Andrew Bosley ever did, his best work was the Everdell critters, these anthropomorphic critters and the beautiful boards and all of the cards and everything like that. And nothing beats that in this entire set. So that was my number one. Wonderland's War came in a close second, though. Beautiful, cool art by Manny Tremblay, which you guys have already mentioned. And then my number three was a game I haven't played, and that's Flamecraft, which is a game I don't even have that much interest in playing, but it's so adorable. The artwork on it is these little cartoonish dragons walking around town baking bread and it's, I just think it's beautiful. I'd, I'd like to try it sometime just to see if the gameplay does anything for me because I think the game just looks awesome. Endless Winter was my number four. Same reason Chris said. Number five was Foundations of Rome, which is a game I haven't played. It has almost no artwork, but has this, this polyomino game made out of huge plastic mini buildings, building Rome. And you just can't like not look at that presentation and be like, wow, I kind of want to be playing with those big toys. Ian O'Toole had a couple games on this list, Weather Machine and Carnegie, which I put at number six and number nine, just because his artwork and his presentations, graphic design is always awesome. Number seven, I picked Cora Quest because what a cool idea that they took kids sent in artwork and then somebody put a little bit of an artistic slant on it. And I thought it turned out really mm-hmm. cool, even though I haven't seen it in person. It's beautiful. And then I did, like you, Chris, put a pity vote on Merchants of the Dark Road <laughs> uh, because it does have a great presentation by Andrew Bosley again. Um, and that's about all it has going for it. Oof. Was that Andrew Bosley? I've forgotten that that it was. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not surprised yeah. then that I enjoyed it because I always enjoy Andrew Bosley's art. And if I knew Everdell better, I may have actually voted for that one as well. But um, so that's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I voted for a few more on this list, but nothing that I need to call out at all. And then a few that I just haven't looked at. So yeah, th- th- this was fun to look at. Definitely some cool productions going on in 2022. Next category, at least on my screen, is cooperative game. This is one I don't. I think most of us, the three of us, don't delve in too much. There was one experience I had with Paint the Roses when it was on Board Game Arena, and I was interested and I was ready to get into it. And then Tim guessed the answer on like turn two, and the game was over. <laughs> so that's all I know about Paint the Roses. No What's going on? <laughs> uh, I'd like to play that one some more because it seems pretty interesting a little bit of deduction element in that one it seems fantastic to me that's all i know about i've heard a lot of good things about Oathsworn, but i have not done any votes on cooperative game i did make one vote in cooperative games like you said it's not surprising that we wouldn't be 
expressing really passionate feelings about these is we're just generally not cooperative game people, but I am a Return to Dark Tower person. And that's this is where Return to Dark Tower came in is a shining example for me. It may not have won on art, but it is a clear winner in terms of cooperative games. Not only is it the cooperative game that I have played, but it is one of the few cooperative games that I have just come back to over and over and over again, like Cthulhu Death May Die uh, is one of the other ones. And I just love playing this game. And it's actually probably the one that has gotten my family gaming the most often, at least me and my son, is th- this is the one game he will come to me and say, Dad, let's bust out Return to Dark Tower and play it. So I'm probably a little biased just because, you know, who doesn't love playing with their kid or having their kid come to them and say, let's play this game. Great game. Absolutely deserves a number one on that one. And that's not even counting the phenomenal production. Two other ones that are very interesting to me, but I couldn't vote on because I haven't played them and I don't actually know that much about the mechanics. ISS Vanguard, because Awakened Realms always does interesting things with co-op storytelling games. And the other is Frostpunk, which I honestly know almost nothing about other than it seems to cover some thematic territory that I don't see done often enough and sounds actually really neat. So I wish that was in the art category. It looks like it has some neat art. But um, haven't played either of those two games, so I couldn't vote. But they're ones I'm interested in looking into further. This is just a category that I don't play a lot of games of. I don't generally like cooperative games very much. And so we don't cover them on the show very often. And I don't choose to play them as long as I can help it. There is one game on this list that I played, which is Return to Dark Tower. And I honestly didn't have a lot of fun playing a co-op. I did think that the competitive mode was a little bit more interesting to me. So I couldn't in good conscience give it any kind of rating because I don't know how it compares to the other co-op games. But there are a couple on here that I actually am interested in trying out. One is Oathsworn into the Deepwood, which feels very much like a Frost Haven, like a Frost Haven type of dungeon crawling experience, but a little bit unique, cool production. I don't know. The things I've heard about this game really sound cool. And then Frostpunk, which sounds like a very punishing survive in the future type of game with maybe euro mechanisms i'm not really sure but i kind of get the sense that it's a lot of like working hard to collect the resources you need to survive and that seems more interesting to me than most cooperative types of style games so those are a couple i wouldn't mind trying at some point but most likely i will not have played any other games on this list in the next few years would be my guess man getting those resources to survive that's the kind of thing adam loves (laughs) outlive but cooperative come on adam oh my goodness Well, we don't cooperate very well, but we do expand a bunch. So I feel like this next topic, expansion, oh, what a horrible segue. That was, we'll have a little bit more interesting to say about, at least I do for sure. Some of the interesting ones on this list for me, On Mars, Alien Invasion. I thought that was kind of goofy. I saw this when it was announced. You have On Mars, the Vitalis Serta game, which is a relatively hard science game. And then you have this expansion that's like, oh, now there's aliens coming to Mars. So I thought that was a little goofy. Parks Wildlife, I haven't checked that one out, but that's interesting to me. I'm a big Parks fan. I expect Root, the Marauder expansion, to win this one overwhelmingly just because of the following that Root has. And Hmm. I'm interested to hear if you've tried that one, Chris. I know you have your Root clan that you play with. The ones I did vote for on this were the two Dune Imperium expansions. Dune Imperium Immortality got the number one vote. I really liked the talaxao creepy stuff and a couple new additions there that i feel like open up the game tons in some very interesting ways and introduce some new synergies and then 
My number two vote was The Rise of Ix because it pairs so nicely with that immortality and the base game. I like all those three combined to make a super game of Dune Imperium. Those are my two votes from the expansion category. Who doesn't love expansions, right? I do. And I voted for a few of these because I actually had played a few of these expansions. And I felt like uh, most of the ones that I had played were actually pretty good. So Dune Imperium Rise of Ix, I'm with you on that one, Adam. That was my number one. And the reason why that was number one is because I feel like that is almost essential for Dune Imperium. I, I, I Maybe not absolutely essential, but it definitely is a huge improvement on the game. I would always choose to play with Rise of Ix if I have it available to me. So definitely number one. Parks Wildlife, that's another one that I voted for. That's, um, that's my number two. And I feel like Parks is one of those games that starts to feel a little samey after you know several plays. And so having those bits of new material then uh, variations that you can throw in there do add a nice variation. So it keeps that game a little bit fresh. So if I don't play it for a little while, I can always bust out a couple of new expansions and it feels like a new game again. Wingspan Asia was my number three. I already talked about that one. Good, solid expansion. Nothing earth shattering, but it it adds a nice variant to the game in particular, the two-player expansion. And I, I struggled a little bit with Dune Imperium Immortality because I didn't 100% love the expansion when we played it. But I think that it added... It definitely added variety, and I don't think it added variety necessarily in a way that was bad. I just, I didn't particularly love it, but I imagine that if I was playing Dune Imperium more frequently, I would probably appreciate having that variety in there, and so I'm sort of extrapolating out to what I would think if I was playing this game more often, and I think I probably would learn to like it more than I currently did or do after that one play. So I did give that one a vote as well. That was my number four. Nice, yeah. I So I played six of these 12 expansions here, and I think they were all worth a rating. So I, I, I'm i going to go through those really quickly. Number one, Dune Imperium Rise of X. Absolutely agree with Chris on this. It is an essential. I just taught this game to a couple new people last week who happen to love it, but I taught it with Rise of X, and I think it worked great. It didn't add too much overhead. I didn't include the immortality expansion because i thought that that just adds more mechanisms to teach and are just less essential as chris mentioned so dune imperium immortality is actually ranked number five on my list of expansions here even though i enjoyed it rise of x was definitely a number one it 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 made a great game perfect my number two was viticulture world cooperative expansion and this took a game that i already really like and made a cooperative experience that i actually really love this is one of two co-op euro style game experiences that i've had one was the co-op version for orleans and and then with viticulture world and both of these are very very fun experiences it takes the base mechanisms of viticulture and adds some just really really interesting fun things that you're doing even though you got to work cooperatively with other people really enjoy this one and so this is my number two i thought it was really groundbreaking number three was everdell new leaf everdell is one of my favorite games new leaf is fantastic because it takes this tableau builder with a huge stack of cards and the designer james wilson found a way to actually add a bunch more cards in there without diluting this deck that cares about uh, comboing off each other and chaining off them and i love the variety it adds it also adds a couple other different modules that are all really fun to play i might be a little biased here i was a play tester on this expansion so i had a lot of plays with it even before it was finished in development 
but uh, just beautiful production again by Andrew Bosley and really fun mechanisms for this game that I love. Uh, Star Wars Outer Rim Unfinished Business was my number four here. Um, I like Star Wars Outer Rim, but it does get a little stale fairly quickly. There's not a ton of content, and this basically doubles the content. It doubles the number of cards, the characters you're going to see, the characters you can play, and that's awesome. It's almost necessary for this game. But the other thing it does, it adds a really cool new mechanism where instead of just going towards 10 reputation, each player is dealt kind of given unique goals they have to pursue in the game to win. Uh, and so that makes it a lot more fun instead of just like pushing for those reputation points. So I think this is a really great expansion. If you like Outer Rim, if you like the Star Wars universe, um, you know, and you're going to pick up Outer Rim, this you got to check out this expansion. So I mentioned Dune Imperium Immortality is my number five. And then number six was Parks Wildlife, which I think is a perfectly great expansion. It added more content, which that game needed if you played it a lot. So it just adds more variety. It's kind of a more stuff expansion with some minor additional mechanisms. All great expansions, though. Wonderful, uh, wonderful year for expanding great games that I already love. Next category is innovative, innovative. And there was a few on this list that we've already talked about, a couple that we haven't that I'm going to highlight that I've heard a few things about. Turing Machine, this game sounds pretty neat to me. It's got these punch cards similar to what they used to use at the beginning of computer programming era. So these analog physical punch cards they put in this machine and little rods would go through. And if they could make it through, that did some sort of activation on the computer. And if it could make it through, then that command didn't happen. So kind of a neat way to incorporate these actual punch cards in a game that recognizes Alan Turing, one of the founders, one of the great minds of, of our time. So that's a game I want to take a look at. Another game that I have, that I own, that I haven't gotten to play too much or at all, again, largely due to renovations and lack of time and a little toddler running around. Planet Unknown. And I think this one is getting praise and in innovative category due to its Lazy Susan. I know that's not innovative, but it's a <laughs> instead of condiments or anything, it's a polyomino Tetris tiles. You're spinning these around to the ones that you want. And then you can grab that and put it on your board. And you're also giving your opponents a chance to pick from wherever this Lazy Susan ends up too. So maybe you can see that you're indifferent between a tile A and tile B, but if you go with tile B, that's going to give your opponents no good tiles to help them out fill in their planet. At least that's the idea there, I think. So those are a couple of games that interest me from the innovative category. Well, this is another one that's going to be short for me because I haven't played most of these games. I haven't heard of a bunch of these games. Uh, Return to Dark Tower is the one that I voted for here because it's the one that I had played and I do feel like it is innovative, although ironically, it's innovative by doing something that the original version did back in like 1980, I thought it was two or 83. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that exactly means innovative, but it did, it did do a very nice job of integrating with an iPad app. I thought that was actually phenomenal. And um, Tim had some really nice things to say about that as well. After we had played that, that was one of the high points of the game. And so that's a nice technology add-on, which I think um, I'd like to see more of. And I think you do see that in my father's work, for example. But, you know, a, a lot of fun, great game. Uh, I like the, the technology tie-in there. One that I'm curious about is... John Company, Adam, you've talked quite a bit about that one, but I did not get from your comments any sense of why they might consider that to be a particularly innovative game. My guess is that it is largely based on negotiation and chit chat around the table. 
you're sort of trying to position yourself mm. for this. There's cards, there's little promise cards that you give to other players at the table. They can redeem those at some other point. Like, hey, earlier you promised that you would give me whatever for this thing that I helped you out with. So I'm turning that back in. That might be kind of an innovative mechanic. I think it's that in the largely negotiation aspect of the game and this, I don't know, the way it all blends together with this semi cooperative but it's very competitive in the end because you want this company to win or do you maybe you want it to fail and you'll run away and get the most retirement i don't know i i really can't speak intelligently about it those are a couple of the things i know about the game that that might get it into this category wow that sounds innovative in all the wrong ways (laughs) it is a popularity contest Ah. (laughs) let's face it it's just the cole worley fan club that got that in here there's nothing that innovative about it I will say that there are a few games in here that I didn't, you know, again, not having played them, that didn't seem super innovative to me. But it depends, right? Because I'm going to call out a couple here that I think other people will say, well, that's not innovative. But to me, because there are styles of games that I like, they did something unique. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and vote in this category because I think you can identify innovation without having played a game as well. The first game I gave a vote to was Mindbug First Contact, which I made my number one. I mentioned that already. I was a longtime Magic the Gathering player. And this takes that same formula and then turns it on its head. Uh, and I'm so excited about it. I think that's that's really fresh that they kind of made this head-to-head battler into a little bit of a, a mind game. Feels almost kind of like party game light in, a, in this dueler. I don't know. I, I, it sounds fun and innovative to me. The second one is Cat in the Box. And Cat in the Box is a trick-taking game where when you play a game, you get to name what suit it is. I'm glad you mentioned this one, Tim. This one looks pretty cool to me too. Yeah, right? I mean, it's just what a cool concept for a trick taker. And there's, I can't, because I haven't played it, I'm not going to try to explain all the mechanisms, but the way I've read about it and what I've heard about it just seems fascinating and shouldn't work, but apparently it does. People are loving this game. So I'd really like to try this one. The third one I'm going to mention is Dead Reckoning. And I'm not sure why this got voted into innovative necessarily, but the one thing that I always got fascinated with on this game, which I haven't played yet, and I'm almost thinking we might do a feature review on this at some point because I think it looks really fun. But the thing that looks innovative to me is the battle system. The battle system in this is that you chuck like a die down. kind of It's a kind of a cube tower, but it's shaped like a pirate ship. And basically, there's like a map at the bottom of the where the where the die rolls out, and where that rolls out, uh, it's gonna the the effect is gonna based on be based on where it lands, and that just seems so fun and unique for a battle system. Um, so you know maybe that's why they're calling innovation. That's what seems innovative to me. There's also like card crafting in it and some other John Declare staple mechanisms here, but that always seemed like it really stood out to me as something that would be fun to play with a little bit of randomness. But you can mitigate it to some extent. Seems like a fun battle system. I have played Planet Unknown, Adam, which you mentioned. And this kind of stood out to me as like, is it really innovative? Right. That Lazy Susan is more of a component. But you're right. You're going to make decisions sometimes, not just on what you want, but what you can block your opponents from getting because they have to choose from the opposite side. Right. And I had forgotten that. And that that does feel innovative and it does feel fresh. If you have this game, Adam, you should definitely bust it out and try it at some point. It's very fun, kind of mid-light Um engine builder, uh, tile lane game. I had a lot of fun playing it the one time I played it. And then number five, I did play Return to Dark Tower with Chris and he mentioned it. And I think obviously, yes, it is just, you know, it's, it's redoing the formula of something that had been done years ago. But I think the most important innovation here is how well that physical component linked with the digital app. And I think it works great. It, they did an, a really 
fantastic job of making it work seamlessly. Never let the technology get in the way of the fun that the gameplay had to offer. So yeah, I think there's some innovation there. The order on Board Game Geek has light game of the year, medium game of the year, and heavy game of the year, but we're going to save those for the end and build up the excitement, kind of like the best movie and best director, actor, actress. And we're going to skip those for now and move on to party game. And this one's going to be tough for me because I don't do many party games. I'm interested to hear what you guys say about this. The one game I have played on this list is Gang of Dice. And you know what? I absolutely love that game. It has a little bit of push your luck, a little bit of gambling. How many dice are you going to put in the pool to try to beat the thing before you bust? It's a Rainer Kinesia design that I really, really enjoy. So from this list, Gang of Dice gets my vote. Man, even though I feel bad about it because I haven't played any of these other games that are potentially way better. Well, um, I guess we're just showing off the the faults in a system like this because I'm going to do the exact same thing. That's the exactly one game that I have played <laughs> out of this bunch, and it was perfectly fine. I, I didn't uh, love it. I didn't dislike it, but I had a nice time with it. I think I'm pretty sure that we had all played it together, so uh, we, I'm playing, thinking of the same games that you did. So I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for that one. I can't believe Adam you didn't vote for Penguin Airlines because that just sounds like you're right up your alley. You being a pilot and all that. <laughs> Come on. I was just gonna jump in and say this. I'm looking at this game now. I wouldn't have thought twice about it. Would have never heard of it had it not been on this list. But now I'm looking at the pictures. It looks like you got a flight deck there, and some knobs and some goofy penguins try to fly an airplane. So I'm gonna have to investigate this one further. If you've played it, let us know what you think about it. It looks pretty ridiculous to penguin party well i've played two games on this list uh, gang of dice and long shot the dice game both games which i enjoy just fine but neither that really excited me and so i don't feel like i want to vote for either of them because without having played some of the other games i just don't know that i'd want to give them my vote there are a couple of games on here that i am interested in trying i think most specifically feed the kraken i i some kind of like social deduction game with a board game in the middle of it uh, but but you know fairly quick so it's kind of like a Battlestar Galactica that plays in 35 minutes or 40 minutes or something like that sounds fun it looks uh, apparently you're you know you're on this ship and if you're the captain you're trying to steer it ahead if you're a cultist you're trying to steer it towards the Kraken and so there's this little like push and pull with it and you don't know who's who um, that sounds fun to me the game that's on this list and has been on a couple lists here so far that I have zero interest in ever playing and that's Blood on the Clock Tower I don't want to hear about it anymore I don't want to see it I don't <laughs> want anyone to talk about this game ever again it sounds terrible miserable like garbage um i could be way off on that but no thank you why why is that tim this is one i'm not familiar with i'm obviously reading the wrong stuff it's a big it's so so it's like a big party social deduction game think of like werewolf Mm. but uh, maybe you've got you know 16 players on it with very complicated rules one person has to stand there and kind of basically run the game because it's uh you know so complicated with how how things go and i don't love social deduction anyway even though i mentioned that feed the kraken seems kind of fun this game just sounds like a kind of half role-playing half party game kind of disaster all right fair enough up next is the print and play category and i suspect this is the one we know least about i'd be surprised if any of us had taken the time to print and play one of these games and what these are if you're not familiar a lot of publishers release their game in essentially pdf files and what you can do is go check them out you sometimes you pay a fee sometimes not sometimes they're just free print them out on your printer laminate them up read the rules and you've got yourself your own little board game 
And lots of times these go on and get picked up by a publisher and become a huge game. So this is kind of like the the fledgling games. I think this is a fascinating category. And I'm going to keep my eye on these. I haven't played any of these, and I've heard very little about any of these as well. So I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts. I haven't voted for any print-and-play games. Well, sorry, print-and-play, but I'm going to have to take a pass on this one because I haven't played any of these either. And honestly, I cannot ever see myself playing a print-and-play game, unfortunately. Maybe that's just a unfortunate bias but that's where i'm sitting yeah printing out my own components and making them i've had to do that for prototyping for uh play testing uh, both prototyping and play testing in the past um and it's just not fun it's not a part, fun part of the hobby at all so no i don't want to print my own components the one game here that i'm interested in that probably has been published also but that's woodcraft roll and write and that's because i played its big brother woodcraft which is a, a really really wonderful game we may be talking about that in a minute but uh you know, I'd like to see what the roll and write version of this is, but I'm not going to print it. So let's move on. Up next is the solo game category of Board Game Geek. Again, I'm not a big time solo gamer. I have tried a couple of these, but not enough to cast a vote. Actually, I've only tried one of these, not enough to cast a vote. And that is Paperback Adventures. I bet Tim will have more to say about that. Ice as Vanguard looks like a giant, huge freaking game. It's going to take hours of your time. Also looks very involved. But if that's your thing, that might be a hit for you. That's all I know about any of these games. Uh, did not cast a vote in the solo game category. Well, I'm going to keep that string of uh, bummerness going by <laughs> having the same answer. I did not vote for any of these because I haven't played any of these either. Although, Paperback Adventures, I have heard absolutely nothing but great stuff about you know Tim from you and from others. And it's one of those ones on the kind of perennial got to try it list because it just it sounds like a lot of fun i'd love to try it uh frostpunk also i had mentioned before sounded like an interesting game to me at least thematically i don't know a lot about the mechanisms but you made it sound so delightful uh you know dying in the snow let's try to stay alive (laughs) but i still want to try it still looks cool and iss vanguard i would probably be more inclined to try iss vanguard except I have other games by Awaken Realms that I would play solo that it just, you know, it's such heavy, you know, maintenance heavy games that um, I'm wondering if this one would be more streamlined. I should look into that because, uh, you know, it would be nice to have one of those types of Awaken Realms story driven games that's not quite as heavy as some of the others. So um, interesting stuff here, but none of it that I've actually played. So I did not vote in this category either. So I've only played Paperback Adventures in here and it absolutely gets my number one vote. It is one of the best solo games I've ever played. One of the most fun games I've played ever. And uh, it's probably sitting at one or two on my top solo games of all time list. So Paperback Adventures is great. If you're a solo player, check it out. Really, really fun. A couple others I'd like to check out Siege of Valeria by Glenn Flaherty, who is a uh, he's a content creator. And this was his first board game design to get published. And it's kind of a tower defense uh, type of game, uh, card-driven tower defense game in a fantasy setting. And I watched a little bit of a gameplay of it, and it looks really fun. So I would like to try this one out. And then Resist also looks like a nice little card-based solo game, um, I think by Pandasaurus. But in any case, uh, also looks fun for some reason. I'm not sure why. Sometimes I think just presentation gets to me and components look cool. So those are a couple I'd like to try out. Probably will Siege of Valeria for sure. Not sure about the others. Yeah, Tim Resist looks great. I'd like to try that one too. And I've heard good things about it. But for now, on to the next category, thematic game. One game that's on here 
I haven't tried yet. You guys, at least one of you have votes for women. I think that's an interesting choice here. But the number one game, at least that received my number one ranking for thematic game was Wonderland's lore. The way the designers have incorporated Lewis Carroll's characters into this game and it's got the different regions. You've got the Cheshire Cat on there. You've got Alice going the other way, opposite way around the tea party than the other characters. All these Humpty Dumpty and familiar bedtime story characters that you grew up hearing about, they're all in this game and they're used in a way that's very thematic and makes a lot of sense if you know their backstory. So Wonderland's War gets number one for me here in thematic game with no other votes cast. I cast a few votes in this one, even though there's some games in here I had not played. And I took a little bit of liberty with this one because the way I interpreted this category was more about theme than it was about, say, gameplay combined with theme. I'm not sure if that's right or not, but that's what I did. And so I felt like I could I could comment on the theme in games I hadn't played. My ratings, I did six in this category. My number one was Nemesis Lockdown. And the reason for that, although I have not played Nemesis Lockdown, is that I really like the Nemesis universe. The Nemesis system as uh, in the base game that I've played and that we have all played together, I think is absolutely phenomenal. It's intense. It's incredibly thematic. It's very story driven, yet at the same time manages to keep a really interesting tension between the co-op and the semi-co-op version of the game. Uh, or nature of the game. And if this game is anything like the base uh, Nemesis, then I, th- I know it's a variation, not a, I shouldn't say base, The it's not an expansion. But if it's anything like the original, then I think that would be phenomenal. Number two, my father's work. I think it's a really neat idea that I have not seen done or not seen anything done particularly similar to that. And I'd love to try it. Won't talk more about that because I've already said a bunch on it. Votes for women. I'm dying to try that game. That was my number three, and I'm looking forward to playing this one. Um, I believe Tim is going to be handing it off to one of us at Sedona this coming weekend, so we'll get a chance to to give that one a shot, and I'm really looking forward to that. Wonderland's War, a great game and a great theme. I do appreciate, like Adam said, the fact they've taken some very familiar characters and put them in a very unfamiliar but very entertaining set of scenarios And that gets uh, a number four vote in my book. Number five was Return to Dark Tower. Uh, Great theme along with great production. And number six, Frostpunk, which I've also mentioned a few times, I think has some really cool theming happening there. Some really great uh, production and artwork to go along with that theming. And another one that I I would really like to try. So lots of good stuff happening in thematic games in this category. Uh, This one makes me pretty enthusiastic. Well, I played a few games in this category, but I'm only going to give two votes. And one of them is for a game I haven't played. And I'm going to give number one to Nemesis Lockdown. And I think same reason as Chris. I played, you know, the original Nemesis and it's so thematic. And I've heard that this just goes a little bit even deeper in that area, maybe to the point of from a gameplay perspective, getting even more fiddly, more rules to track. But from a thematic perspective, you have to you have to love what it's doing. And the way I ranked this was a little different than Chris. And I really did say, hey, does this feel like a thematic game? Does it feel like I'm in the experience? And so that's why I'm going to actually leave Wonderland's War out because I don't feel like it's necessarily that thematic. It's a beautiful production, beautiful presentation and a super fun game, but I don't feel like the theme carries through necessarily. 
But I did give my number two vote to votes for women. I think, uh, although slightly abstracted, you really do feel like you're going through this fight for the right to vote for women in the United States and the actions you're doing and the cards you're interacting with give you that thematic link. So those are my two votes for thematic game. The next category up, I think we're going to be stretched a little thin in this one as well. Perhaps the thinnest in this category is war game. Our group tends to shy away from these kinds of games. They have a very specific demographic. I think rarely does a game cross over into the mainstream populace, I think, for these games. A couple we've talked about that might fit that category. Caesar, Caesar Rome in 20 minutes. Resist is on here as well. And Votes for Women is also on here, which I think is interesting. I haven't, Again, I haven't played any of these games. I did not cast any votes, and I receive zero points. <laughs> Well, I'm tied with you in last for this one, Adam. I didn't vote for any of these either because I have not played any of these. I want to vote for Votes for Women because I think I'm going to like it. Tim had some some nice things to say about it, and I'm really looking forward to trying it. But And actually, maybe I will have played it by the time the voting ends. But as it stands right now, it's not something I've tried. So while I could talk about this from a thematic standpoint... I don't think I can say anything about it from a gameplay perspective. I actually did cast a vote in this category, and I probably shouldn't have because I am not expecting to play very many war games. It's not a category that interests me. In fact, it's a pretty big turnoff for me. But I did cast my vote for Votes for Women because I do know that it's kind of framed on the, the war game style and, and you know mechanisms of game. It's an approachable gameplay for one thing, but also brings in a much more useful and interesting theme than war. And even though we're in the war games category, um, you know, I want to elevate it a little bit. So Votes for Women was my number one in war game and my only vote. Up next, the category we all came here for, we're talking about best podcast. There are a ton of fantastic podcasts on this list. I could go in depth on a few of them. The ones I'm going to highlight here are Game Brain, a board game podcast about their gaming group. These are a few guys that live locally in LA and around the country as well. They're weekly or semi-weekly, and they have discussions about a lot of games that interest me a lot of times, a lot heavier games, and they'll go in depth about the mechanisms or what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And they kind of air out a lot of their arguments right there on air too, which I think is pretty funny. But uh, that's the show I'll listen to. Sporadically Bored with Mike and Dan. I've been listening to those guys forever. That's Mike Delisio of Dice Tower fame. And maybe not with Dice Tower anymore, or at least he's reducing his role. And Dan Hughes, whose game that he designed with his daughter, Core Quest, was nominated for a few of these awards as well. And Dan Hughes is just a delightful human being, at least in podcast world. And he's very honest with some of the topics that he approaches. And they talk a lot about a lot of non-board game stuff, a lot about life. Just very interesting takes. And I just enjoy those humans and listening to them talk. So those are the two, besides ours, board game hot takes that I would like to highlight for the best podcast category. I'm embarrassed to say this as a person who actually is on a board game podcast, but I actually do not really consume a whole lot of board game podcast content. I generally find that I don't have a lot of time to listen to these things. And so when I do have an opportunity to listen to something, it's almost always trying to keep up with the news or trying to escape into some fiction. So I'm actually interested to hear what you guys have to say, because on those occasions when I do have time to listen, you know, we have a few sort of friends of the podcast, you know, um, part of our community that I, I do listen to, like 
Meepletown, uh, Riley Stock, and the uh, Board Game Community Show. But it's always nice to have some others to to poke at once in a while. And so I'm I'm thrilled to hear your guys' suggestions on other ones that I ought to be listening to, like the ones you just mentioned, Adam. Well, there are 15 podcasts here, and I've listened to probably 10 of them, and I will just say that it's great company to be in. There's there's a lot of really fun board game podcasts out here, a few that I have never heard, and so I'm going to be checking them out for sure. But a couple that I listen to regularly, an ongoing Blue Peg, Pink Peg has been one of my go-to podcasts since I got into the hobby like five years ago. It's a little bit more on the, if you're going for entertainment and board game content, they're fun. They're super fun personalities. seems like great people to to hang out and chat with games about. So I always go back to them. Board Game Blitz is uh, Crystal and Ambie's show, a super short 30-minute podcast, but they're just energetic and just enthusiastic and jump in and talk about several games in a very short time period. So I like going back to them whenever I have time in my playlist. And then Five Games for Doomsday, just an absolute treasure of an interview show. He does some other content on there as well, but when he does his interviews, I just love the format of this interview show, the idea that he's presenting to the to the guests. Doomsday's happen, you have to pick five games that you're going to go into a cabin in the woods and that's all you get the rest of your life. And he asks this question, but he peppers in all these questions about their life, their careers, their family, their you know religion. I mean, you just really get to know these guests in a way that you don't on any other interview show. But then also every once in a while, okay, so what's your number four game that you're going to bring with? And so you get a little bit of background on their games as well. So I love Five Games for Doomsday and uh, several other shows on this list that I've listened to sporadically or occasionally, but all great productions and a few more that I've never heard that I can't wait to go and check out now because what a cool list of of shows. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, just again, amazing to be in such great company, but also love to see so much great board game content out here in the podcast world right now. These sound like so much fun. I need to get a commute again. (laughs) It's not worth it, Chris. (laughs) Up next is the best board game app category. And I think these are fascinating too. It's always nice to me when there's a great app that represents one of your favorite games comes out and now you have access to it all the time essentially so some of these in the past one that chris and i always play and that's fantastic is through the ages a new story of civilization fantastic app there this is not these are not nominees these are just apps that i've that i use there's star realms fantastic app the race for the galaxy app is amazing if you like that game another app i've been using recently there's a capital lux capital lux 2 app yeah chris is already shaking his head i mean no surprise there I don't think you can choose the different bonus rewards. It's just the standard, I think the B tile set, the one that's um, in the base capital Lux. So that's out as well. I haven't played any of these apps. I'm sad to say, oh, I have played. I played Hero Realms. And it was meh. It's like <laughs> meh compared to uh, Star Realms. I'd take Star Realms any day over Hero Realms. I know what Chris is going to say. He says, give me that undo button, but that's for weaklings. <laughs> Maglev Metro is on here. That's one game I considered backing, but then I backed out of backing it so the app will give me a much cheaper way to try that game and to see if i enjoy it so that's one i have my eye on uh but i did not cast any votes for best board game app so you can just disregard everything adam just said about the hero realms app (laughs) that was nonsense (laughs) when you compare side by side the hero realms app to the star realms app no doubt they fixed all the problems from the Star Realms app, which is a great app. I do love the Star Realms app, but all mm. the problems, they fixed them in Hero Realms. 
for example, with the addition of an undo button, which Dar Realms is in desperate need of. Of course. <laughs> but I really do feel like there are two flawless apps that I play, and they're the ones that Adam mentioned through the ages, which is not up for nomination right now. So I'm just throwing it out there out of you know love for the app. In Hero Realms, which is up for nomination and got my vote, and is, again, like I said, a flawless app for what it does. I think it's wonderful, nicely done, wise wizard games. I haven't played the others, so that's the only one I voted for. You guys spent a lot of time talking about apps that are not on this list for an awards ceremony. So I'm going to keep it focused here, and we're going to talk about games that actually are on this list. Tim, you to keep it focused for once, huh? Okay. <laughs> Focus. I have played two of the eight on this list, and I think they both deserve recognition, both fantastic apps. The first is the Everdell app, Everdell being one of my favorite games. And this is a great implementation, beautiful uh, animation in there where you're, you know, your little workers are different woodland creatures and they're moving around while you're waiting. They're waiting for you to pick where they're going. Really easy to use on a, on a tablet, a little small to use on a phone, but uh, great, great uh, app implementation of a, of a fairly complex game. And then Hero Realms, I had to call out. Now, this may have, may have made my number one, except for the beating that Chris gave me on it today, <laughs> uh, which just knocked it down to number two. But no, it really is a good app. And I think the way that in this game, how you kind of have an ongoing, like your character can be upgraded over time. And it's, it's really cool how it tracks that progress and gives you different choices, branching paths on what upgrades you do for the character. It's been really fun to explore this game with Chris through the app. I still prefer Star Realms of the two as a game itself. And I think I would never own the, the paper version of Hero Realms. Well, I would with Star Realms, but from an app perspective, I think Hero Realms is great. And I'm glad you called out Maglev Metro, Adam, because it's a Ted Allspec design and um, it just looks really fun. And I didn't even realize this existed until today when these awards came out. So I'm going to be downloading this and definitely using it on my next airplane ride or trip and uh, give it a shot, get a chance to play it a little bit. You're going to let me know if it has uh, online play. Multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're playing it's be great. Sounds good. Yeah, especially if it has an undo button. Yeah. <laughs> It's one I'd heard about too. That the game, not the app. Um, but that that sounds like it'd be fun. All right, on to the juicy categories. First up is Light, Game of the Year. There's a handful of games on here that again I know nothing about that I'm gonna have to try. I I think Rear Window with Jeremy Stewart on here might be one I have to take a look at. Oh my! This is <laughs> a lot more like Sean Connery than Whatever Stewart. it is, I love it. <laughs> this is a game by Prospero Hall, and it's it made the finals for a uh, light game of the year. And I, I have to look at it now. Alfred Hitchcock. This is one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's got that old school pacing and tension to it. It's a fantastic movie. There's a couple I know that you guys are going to talk about, so I'll save those. I want to highlight Trekking Through History as well. I played Trekking the World. I think that game is fantastic. And I've heard really good things about Trekking Through History as well with this kind of time travel mechanism where you're going through different points in time and collecting different things to uh, learn about history and try to win the game. Oh, I want to mention Acropolis 2. That's also available on Board Game Arena at the moment. So that's another one I'd like to try. My sentimental favorite is going to be Trekking through history, I don't think it will end up number one, but that's what I hope ends up at number one. Well, I haven't tried any of these games except Sea Salt and Paper, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna vote because 
that was the only one I played, and it's just not my style of game. I, I don't think it deserves a hit because it's not my style, but I'm also not going to vote for it because I didn't particularly love the game um, for reasons of no fault of the game. Trekking Through History uh, sounds like it'd be fun. I have also played Trekking the World and enjoyed that game, so this one might be fun as well, but I haven't played it, so I can't vote for it. So I'm going to stop there because nobody wants to hear about games I haven't played. Yeah, I mean, this is just not a category of game weight that we often play, and so it's not surprising we haven't played a lot. I played a couple games in this list. Sea Salt and Paper is absolutely deserving. I think it will win, to be honest, and it, it should win. I'm giving it my number one. Maybe the only reason it wouldn't is that it's not been available in the United States yet, except for on Board Game Arena. But I managed to get a copy of this from Canada, and it's been played endlessly with my wife, with my daughter. I played it online with a lot of, with my family repeatedly, and I just love going back to this fun little pick two cards and choose one, you know, set collection little comboing game. Sea Salt and Paper is fantastic. I've also played uh, Long Shot the Dice game, which I mentioned before, which I thought was okay. Maybe it's just because I played it at eight players. I think it probably would have been funner at five or six. So without having played it at those player counts, I can't really give it a a strong rating. A few other games here I'd like to try out, Rear Window being one of them, just because of my love for the the Alfred Hitchcock movie. I, I've seen almost everything Alfred Hitchcock has ever directed, and Rear Window is still my number one in that list. So I kind of want to play it just for the the nostalgia of it. Yeah, just the only one I voted for here was Sea Salt and Paper. All right, up next is Medium Game of the Year. Interesting to me, the differentiation between Medium and Heavy. There's some gray area there, but here's what we have, I put Wonderland's War number one. The joy I get from playing that game, the tile draw, the crafting of your character, the or what's called forging of your chips, the decision that you're making at all times, this little ability to place a wager on who you think is going to win each combat. How fun is that? I like the area control or the area influence mechanism here. I think that adds a nice juicy component to any board game. So that's my number one for a bunch of reasons. A game we just played, but I can't stop thinking about, Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. That is my number two. I really enjoyed that game. Oh, I do worry, Tim, you're going to say the scoring thing. The scoring cards can all pop up right in a row. That could be rough. But right now, that game's high on my mind and sitting at number two. Number three, I have Lacrimosa. I enjoy that game. Enjoy the theme. I like the little map around Europe trekking back through Mozart's journeys and his experience as a musical artist and trying to finish his final composition, delightful theme, fun gameplay. And it's, you know, easy light rules overhead and then you get going and the game is fantastic. So those are the three I've cast votes for in medium game of the year. I'd also like to try the guild of merchant explorers that design team seems fantastic, and I've heard a lot of good things about the game. So I cast two votes in this category, and number one was, no surprise, Wonderland's War. I mean, I think all three of us maybe had that as our number one game of 2022 when we did our year-end wrap-up. So no shocker there. Great game. Deserves to be number one. Number two, I'm with you, Adam. Lacrimosa. That was a great game. One of the most highly thematic Euro-style games I think I'd, I'd ever played. And it's funny saying that because, you know, it's classical period Europe. Sounds like it should be super boring, right? Or at least it should be something that I would normally be complaining about. But throwing in the Mozart aspect of it and you're writing music and not farming and raising sheep. And all of a sudden you've got this fascinating version of that same period 
that I think is just amazing. I love that game. I think if I'd actually played it, which I haven't yet, Clint Catacombs would be somewhere on this list. It could be number one for all I know. Uh, Tim has talked about it. Sounds like a great game. I've never had a bad Clank experience, and I'm always happy to play a Clank game. So I'm looking forward to trying this one, but haven't tried it yet, so I can't vote for it at this point. Well, Chris, you will absolutely be playing Clank Catacombs in the next few days when we're all together in Sedona because it is one of my number one games I want to get played with you guys. So here's my list. I've had a chance to play quite a few of the games on this list, and my number one was Clank Catacombs. I think the best iteration of Clank, which is one of my favorite game series of all times, uh, non-Legacy, I should say, because Legacy is still the best. But Clank Catacombs is great, super fun, gone back to it a lot. Uh, my wife, Danielle, and I have played it tons and tons in the last few months. So love Clank Catacombs. Wonderland's War is number two. Great. Yeah, I ranked Wonderland's War higher when we talked about our game of the year last year, even over Clank Catacombs. But I think generally just because it was so fresh you know it did some things that were unique and really fun um clank's been around forever but uh out of the two i think i would still pick clank catacombs number three was libertalia winds of gale crest i actually voted for this as party game of the year when we were do- went during the nomination process because that's what it feels like to me this is a great game to play with five or six people have some fun have some beer and pretzels you know throw it on cards and surprise each other and steal the loot I love playing this game. It's so much fun. So wouldn't have necessarily put it in this category, but because it it's the only category it showed up and I did want to give it some love. Mosaic was my number four. I really enjoyed our plays of that. I want to go back to it some more. I'm not too stressed about the card play, Adam. Minor criticisms there, but I think this is a lot of fun and I would like to go back to it. Lacrimosa was number five, maybe just because of age. I really like Lacrimosa. It might have gone a little higher if we played it more recently, but it's been a little while and it's starting to fade from my memory. And number six was planet unknown which again i had a lot of fun with and maybe if this had gotten more played it also could have been a little bit higher the one other one on this list uh two others that i'd like to try one is uh first rat which sounds like a fun kind of light resource management game and ottawa which is a new uve rosenberg and his games are hit and miss with me some of my love some of them i'm just okay on not sure where this one's gonna fall but i'd like to give it a try all right the final category for the board game geek awards that we're going to talk about tonight is heavy game of the year and there aren't many, again, that I've played on here. Well, I don't know, four or five. So let's see here. I know Great Western Trail Argentina has been getting a lot of hype. That's one. Great Western Trail OG doesn't really do much for me. So I've avoided that one intentionally. I missed out on Endless Winter Paleo-Americans when you guys had a chance to play that. Revive, we've talked about wanting to play. I haven't played that. There's no digital implementations that I know about yet. So I don't know how we're going to play that one. Tyletum, I expect to be playing that here in less than a week. Tim's going to force that one down our throats. We have played Wayfarers. I thought it was okay. I haven't cast a vote yet for that one. So what does that leave? Carnegie, we've played that on Board Game Arena as well. And, you know, it was all right. I guess didn't do much for me either. So, yeah, at this point, guys, I haven't cast any votes for a heavy game of the year I don't know, maybe I'm just fading away from this heavy genre or maybe, you know, none of these games do it for me. I have limited time. I want some rules that I can learn quickly. I want to be able to get the game out there quickly. I want to jump into it and start taking turns and understanding what's happening rather than dive into these systems and learn about this and learn about that. And then, okay, four or five games into it, I'm finally seeing my way through this game and a strategy develop and some comfort with the game. I don't know if I have time for that right now. So no votes cast yet. Interested to hear your guys' thoughts for heavy game of the year. 
Yeah, this is a weird category for me too because I've played several of these games, but I'm only casting one vote because the games that I did play, I just generally wasn't thrilled with. I, we played Carnegie and that is now one of the few games that I've said, please don't invite me to play that on BGA because I just really, just really didn't love that one. I think I actually liked it better on the review episode than I did in subsequent plays. So I couldn't really vote for that one. Uh, Great Western Trail Argentina. Actually, that one is one that I'd be interested to try, but I haven't played it yet, so I can't vote for that. We had played Wayfarers, and that game really, really, really didn't hit for me, so I can't vote for that one. So I am casting my one and only vote. Thankfully, thank goodness for Endless Winter Paleo-Americans, because it is my one vote, and it is one that I think really does deserve a a good vote on this one. Um, I know that is that, that's going to be our prize game for Sedonicon, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So a great game. Lots of fun. I'm glad it's in there because I'd hate to have this really big, meaty, exciting category and not have anything I felt enthusiastic about. So thank you, Endless Winter, Paleo-Americans. This was the most exciting category for me. I think this is just a fantastic list of games. But I also think it's really interesting the difference between medium games and heavy games on this list were so close in some cases. I would have rated some of these as medium games and some of them as high games. But they basically go on the BGG weight rating, which is um, you know community decided. And like Endless Winter, I would have put in medium. Carnegie, I definitely would have put in medium. So you know, it's just it's kind of a weird grouping. But I think there's a great a great group of that you would consider medium or heavy. Uh, based on these two categories. Now, I had a lot of fun with some games in this category, and there's a couple more that I didn't get a chance to play that I'd really like to. So different than you guys, I think this is a fantastic group of games. My number one on this list is Woodcraft. I thought it was such a fun, and this one is a fairly heavy game, but really, really fun experience, one I can't wait to go back to. Endless Winter Paleo-Americans, my number two. I'm a little worried about the replayability on this, but I'm excited to get back to it this weekend and try it again and see if it stays in there. But I do, I did have a lot of fun with it. I did try it solo once as well. Um, so I've had two plays now and enjoyed both of them. And I think it's got a lot of fun little systems going on here. Tyletum is a great, great action selection mechanism set in this game. And I think if it had just had a better production, it probably would have been at the top of my list this year. Really, really cool game. Adam, you said you thought we were playing this this weekend. This one is not on my list. We will not be playing this. I don't own this game. So uh. um, sad, sad to say that. Wafers of South Tigris is a game that I really love. I think it's fantastic, but I think it's a little bloated. Maybe it's just too heavy for me. So this is a game that has fallen a little bit for me from when we first reviewed it, but I still think it's a lot of fun. So it's my number four. And I put Carnegie at number five. I say Carnegie, Carnegie, but I, I'm going with what Chris is saying. But I put Carnegie at number five because... Um, I think it's a it, it's a good game. It's got solid systems to it. Replayability wise, though, it fell off for me pretty quickly. Like I really enjoyed my first couple of plays, and then it just started to feel repetitive. And someone invited me to a game recently, and I replayed it, and it didn't pick back up. So, uh, you know, not a game that I love, but a game that I think is is good. And I think it's uh, you know I'm I'm happy to give it a rating here at number five. The couple other games on this list I'm dying to play, Marrakesh and Reviver, two of my, or in Dead Reckoning. Like all three of those games are games that are top of my want to play list right now. So I think there's uh, a really cool list of games here. I can't wait to explore it further. So that pretty much wraps up our votes for the Golden Geek Awards this year. Hope you enjoyed it. And after listening to this list and how few games we actually get played, I'm sure we will not get voted in as your best podcast of the year. But if you do, <laughs> we would appreciate it. If you're listening, new. I, we know a lot of people are just being introduced to us because of our nomination on the Golden Geeks. 
Uh, so if you're new to this show, welcome. Would love to have you back. Our normal format is that we play a game and immediately talk about it, give our points of view and discuss it. But every four episodes or so, we do one of these special episodes where we kind of go off into a topic, do top five lists and stuff like that. So stick around for a little bit, try a couple of our different uh, show formats and see if anything is fun for you and works for you. Before we wrap up today, we did have a couple of listener reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we always love to shout these out on the show. So if you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. The first one was from Debato in Canada, and the title was 3M of Podcasts, Measured, Mighty, Meticulous. And he gave us a five-star rating, and that is quite an, an intro to uh, to this review. So right. he said, I've listened to countless gaming podcasts and find it has the best formula for content, symmetry, and production. To the point, but with a touch of opinion and humor. Great chemistry. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Debato. That was really nice to hear and uh, love having you as part of our community. Thank you. And then the other review we got was from Mad Coder 8 and the title was Great Listen, Five Stars. This is my first written review. I really enjoy this podcast so much that I thought it was worth providing review. I really like how they cover board games right after they played them. You get all of their initial unbiased thoughts, which is excellent. I enjoy all of the hosts, but I will give a slight nod to Tim. <laughs> so uh, definitely the best review of the day. Five stars. Uh, thanks, Mad Coder 8. Thanks anyway. Another made-up <laughs> review. <laughs> if we're uh, keeping track here, which I'm pretty sure uh, I am, uh, that would leave us at uh, one vote for Chris, two for Tim now, and three for Adam. So I got a little catching up to do, but uh, keep bring us, bringing us your reviews. And if you uh, if you really enjoy hearing one of our voices, we'd love to hear from you just because we like a little competition in everything. Until next week, take care, everybody. Good night, all. Bye-bye.